The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What is happening? Welcome to the Plus Pitch Podcast, your morning pitching podcast from pitchless.com. My name is Nick Pollock, and today we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers. What a world this is. The Texas Rangers have completely changed their entire rotation. Jacob DeGrom, Martin Perez, John Gray, Nathan Ivaldi, Andrew Heaney, Jake Odorizzi. Four of those are new names all of a sudden. And of course, we'll talk about Glenn Otto and Dane Dunning, Cole Raggins even. Yeah, we'll talk about all of that in this podcast. But if you've been listening to all of these and you haven't yet given us a rating or review on iTunes, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go there right now. Leave some, leave five stars if you can. And you know what? If you leave the podcast review and you send me a DM with proof that you do, I'll give you a free month of PL Plus yearly. So go off and do that um, and send me a DM on Twitter. Or you can just send me an email, info at pitchfellows.com with a rating review. Send you a free month uh, of PL Plus, whether you want the free month of monthly or if you want it for discount on the year. Let me know what you want. I got you. Thanks so much for supporting what we do. All right, Jacob DeGrom, 5-4 and four record last year. Da, 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 doesn't matter. You know, it's Jacob DeGrom. He's the best pitcher on earth. What are you going to do? Are you going to draft him or not? This is my philosophy. You're not going to lose your league because somebody else drafted Jacob DeGrom. However, if you draft Jacob DeGrom in the first two or three rounds, you are setting yourself up to lose your league, right? You can't win your league in the draft, but you can lose it. And a pick like Jacob DeGrom could be as a higher risk of losing it than winning it. Because let's be honest, the biggest injury risk in drafts this season is Jacob DeGrom. It's a very difficult pick to make. It's one of those situations where I just throw my hands up in the air and go, I don't know where to rank him, but I am not going to draft him because there are so many good starting pitchers to get that you can just bank on. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Sure, they can for any pitcher. But Jacob DeGrom, there's just so much more tangible risk. So you don't want to do that. But hey, he's so good. Jacob DeGrom is so good. 43% carry across 64 innings last year. Okay. I don't need to do that. You know how amazing he is. There is an argument to be said. Look, if I get 100 innings from Jacob DeGrom, that still is amazing. It's like 130 of somebody else. Yes and no. Uh, Maybe that ERA is actually closer to the 308 that DeGrom had last year. Yeah, unlucky, but that sometimes happens. And however he does, it's over a smaller period of time. So let's say someone goes 100 innings, 150, the same ratios. The guy who pitched 150 innings is getting 50% more production 
out of ERA and WHIP. And that's a huge deal. So I'm not a huge fan of that argument. I think there's a massive thing to be said about it. It's also, you could say, look, in a head-to-head league, I get Jacob DeGrom plus the replacement. But when you need the replacement, it's a worse time to get a replacement than it is earlier on in the season in May, in April. I still don't like that one either. So you do you. If you feel good about it, then all right, then just do it. Don't listen to me. This is so much more of your gut and you do what you think is best. But personally, as someone who feels strong in the ability to find good starters and uh, and draft well and be you know and go after that instead of you know going getting hitters where you would get Jacob Degrom in the first place, uh, yeah, it's just not for me to do that. So I'm going to move on. Uh, Martin Perez. I'm going to make him the SP two for whatever reason. 12 and 8 record, 196 innings last year, 289 ERA. It was ridiculous. It was such a clear Vargas rule through the year. 126 whip, 21% K rate, and an 8% walk rate. If you don't know what a Vargas rule is, it's named after Jason Vargas, where we had no expectations for Jason Vargas to do well. However, he was doing well, and in your fantasy leagues, you just say, you know what? I'm just going to pick him up and wait and see and play this out for as long as it lasts. That is a Vargas rule. It's where I'm not saying the guy is actually good, but he's on a roll right now, and you keep running with him until he hits the wall, and then you get rid of him. Martin Perez never really hit that wall. He had a couple. You could see in the second half, if he hit on the first wall, it was kind of neutral after that. What normally happens is the offseason is the wall. It is wintry. It is large. It is looming. And it stops, guys. It's what happens. Marco Gonzalez, after 2020, those 12 starts were a Vargas rule. We knew it was, and we didn't draft him the next year. Ranger Suarez was a Vargas rule entering this past year. Chris Flexen, Derek Rodriguez, Jason Vargas. There are a lot of these that happen where they coast through the end, and then they do not repeat the next year. Adam Wainwright, you can make an argument also entering uh, this past year. So don't make that mistake with, with Martin Perez. How he did this was... Excellent command of sinkers and cutters on on east and west. That is, inside and outside to inside to lefties and outside to righties with a sinker, and then um, glove side with that cutter. Changeups down and away from right-handers, impeccably so. It was really nice. It was wonderful. But even in this peak Vargas rule season, Martin Perez had a 126 whip and a 20.6 percent K rate. That is the that is what you're chasing with that 2898 array. You don't want to do that. Don't draft Martin Perez. I'm okay with it, maybe for the first start if you really want to against the Orioles. But even that, honestly, it could be bad. The Orioles are a better offense this year. Maybe he goes against, let's see, oh, the Phillies. No, no, thank you. That's a fantastic offense. So I, I I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be someone that's like Martin Perez that comes out of nowhere. Don't know who it is because it's going to be out of nowhere. And we'll just go and try that one instead when it happens. So we have some really interesting guys. John Gray, Eovaldi, and Heaney that I really want to talk about. But before we do, we have to take a quick break. John Gray. I really, really liked John Gray entering 2022. He's coming from Colorado, had moments where he increased his fastball velocity, and his slider is elite. And now he's going to be removed from cores and things should be better. Well, in some aspects, yes, he really was better. 396 ERA. A 113 whip and a 26% K rate. He also had this amazing stretch for 55 innings and nine starts between all these injuries that he had, only 127 innings for John Gray, where he had a 225 ERA, a one whip, and a 30% K rate. So what I thought to myself is, all right, clearly John Gray's fastball was amazing at that time because the slider is just kind of always great. So let's look into this. Nope. 
Four Seymour was kind of exactly what it was the entire year, and the slider was just balling out, essentially. And then I looked at what John Gray's approach is, and this is... Mm, I am very hesitant to buy into John Gray, and it stinks, because I really wanted to go after him. I thought it was this really nice discount and everything. And here are the things that I found for John Gray. One, he's really bad against lefties. His four-seamer does not go inside well. It does not elevate well. His slider isn't utilized nearly as much as it should, because change-ups are introduced. Yes, John Gray has a change-up. He doesn't throw against righties. He throws it against lefties, and it's terrible. 31% hard contact. A 3.6% swinging strike rate on his changeup against lefties. And he throws it 17% of the time. Stop doing this. It is a bad pitch, and it's just diluting his success. So fine, if you say Nick, if he moves his changeup, he should be okay. Well, one of the rules I learned this past year was if a guy has a, an excellent elite slider, but his four-seamer just isn't very good, if it's kind of mediocre then I'm generally not in. Uh, you could say, Nick, that would have steered you away from Dylan Cease. Very fair. Dylan Cease overperformed. Curveball and fastball, I think, were competing a bit, and they helped a little more with that one. And John Gray's four-seamer isn't horrific. Like, it isn't a 40% hard contact rate. It's more like 30%. But it's not that good. However... John Gray's four-seamer could be really good. He has a really good VAA. He gets good vertical movement. He's just terrible at elevating it. So there are two paths. You could you could look at it this way. There are two paths that John Gray could go down that would make him successful in 2023. His four-seamer gets elevated and is utilized against lefties effectively. And his changeup just gets axed against lefties because, my gosh, it's terrible. He's killing it with right against righties. John Gray's slider is phenomenal. It's stupid good. It's one. It's so ridiculous, right? But he needs to get more from the other stuff. The other aspect of this is that John Gray can't stay healthy. <laughs> I mean, he really can't. And that's a problem because he needs to get in a rhythm to be able to do well. And it's that was a major issue last year. So with all of this combined, it kind of makes a guy who's a cherry bomb who doesn't stay on the on the field. And these changes I'm suggesting, I think, would benefit him. But oftentimes I say, like, well, if he does this or if he does that, that would be the path forward. I don't know if he's going to do that. And I don't like the idea that I'm not going to start John Gray against the Phillies. I don't like the idea that his four-seamer needs to be much better. It never, even in that high stretch, it had a 9% swing strike rate. This has never turned into a 12-13% swing strike rate. If John Gray shows on this first start and is throwing high four-seamers, like with true intent, then I'm really, really intrigued and I'm in. But until that moment, I think I kind of need to step away and say, you know what, John Gray's just too much of a headache to deal with at the moment. And that stinks because it is a really good 26 minus 7.5% uh, K-mass walk rate. Like that's, that's really good. But all right, that, that that's enough on John Gray. Uh, let's move to Nathan Eovaldi, which is pretty simple. John, uh, sorry, Nathan Eovaldi, his whole shtick over the years is a throws really hard, 97 miles per hour, has a splitter and a curveball, sometimes a slider, and a cutter, and the, the four-seamer, it's fine at that velocity of 97, while the curveball's been the savior for him to get a high CSW and really mix things up. Um, the splitter's been all right, it's been good, it's been bad, whatever, but really this whole combination of four-seamer, curveball, and then the cutter kind of comes in, gets some strikes, has worked for Eovaldi, especially with the four-seamer, um, being that high velocity option that sets up everything else. But then all of a sudden, on June 8th, 
on June 8th this year, Nathan Eovaldi <laughs> was 94 on the gun. Yeah, 94 instead of 97. So he thought, all right, he goes to the IL. He went on the IL. He came back. It was 93.4 after a month on the IL. So we think, okay, he's going to ramp it up. He never does. He never got to 95 miles per hour in his final eight games of the year. And that's very worrisome to me. Now, I know his last six starts of the year, 291 ERA, 124 whip with a 17% K rate. And he also allowed nine earned runs before that stretch. This isn't good. If Eovaldi shows up in spring training is sitting 96, 97, then maybe, all right, I'll be kind of interested. Even so, I wasn't the biggest Eovaldi fan, but the curveball is nice and it's fine. Like, I'm all right having him on my fantasy teams. But at 94 miles per hour, 94, 95, nah, that, that's, I, I feel like he needs that velocity to be the guy that sets up all the other stuff, right? It's just not for me, Nathan Evaldi. I'm so sorry. Speaking of health, there's Andrew Heaney, 72.2 innings last year for the Dodgers. When he came into the year, so after 2021, he allowed so many home runs and we didn't know what was going on and are the Dodgers going to fix him? And they did. It really shocked me. They fixed him in two ways. One, his command was just way better than before, and that it knocked out some of the inconsistencies that plagued Andrew Heaney. But two, Heaney's always had actually a really good fastball, above average. He throws it up, it's incredibly flat, which means he gets a lot of swing strikes on, 14% swing strike rate on Andrew Heaney's four-seamer last year. But he paired it with a curveball and a changeup. And the Dodgers said, you know what, both of those are not good enough. So we're going to give you a slider. And that slider was amazing. 26% swing strike rate last year. And allowed him to have that pitch separation, the Blake Snell blueprint of four seamers up, sliders down. And when I was really impressed, especially the first couple starts of the year before the IL stint for Andrew Heaney, is that that slider was perfectly positioned down in glove side consistently, allowed him to go upstairs with a heater. I don't think that approach and that slider go goes away. Neither of those go away in Texas. The question is when he falters, because he does, everyone does, in season. They're not just a robot and do the same thing every start. He won't have the same guidance that he had in L.A. that taught him those things. So that might be a problem. That may be something where Andrew Heaney does well and then gets into a ditch and then struggles to get out of it. But that's all mental and, and narrative and all of that. I think in general, Heaney is a better pitcher now. I think that slider is a much better compliment. I think he has these tools that he's learned, and that's good. But health. <laughs> I mean, he's just not a healthy pitcher. He doesn't throw a ton of innings. He threw 130, I guess, in 2021. He was getting battered and bruised. But 72 innings last year, and it's just, you can't depend on 140, 150 from him. So that means I'm not drafting him, because there is a, still the question mark, is his command actually fixes all good? On top of the health... Which tells me, yeah, I don't want to pursue Andrew Heaney in the first 12, 13 rounds. I'm fine having him as my SP5 or 6 or something. I'm like, sure, why not? Let's just see what happens. I don't want to start him for the the Phillies. Maybe the the Orioles, but not the Phillies if he gets that one. Probably he's going to be the Orioles. But yeah, I just, mm, I'm not really too interested. He actually likely is the SP3. Eovaldi is the 4, and uh, especially if he's throwing 94 or 95. Um, And then uh, you have Martin Perez as the 5, but... We'll see. If he gets the Orioles, I'm okay with that one as the first start. It's just not too exciting for me. I think there's going to be too much of a headache and too few innings for me to really pursue Andrew Heaney. 
As far as the other guys available with the Rangers, this actually might be a surprising lack of depth. Even though there are four pitchers that they'll have, you have to imagine at some point you're going to have at least one, if not two of those, these in the rotation. And this might be kind of shocking. Because keep in mind, Jacob deGrom, massive injury risk. John Gray, massive injury risk. Nathan Evaldi, massive injury risk. Andrew Heaney, massive injury risk. None of those guys pitched over 130 innings last year. Martin Perez threw 196. Maybe he's an injury risk because he threw so many. Yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you threw a lot of innings, injury risk. <laughs> if you didn't throw a lot of innings, injury risk, right? Go to jail. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, 106 innings last year. He's their number six right now, 4-4 ERA with a 133 whip, 90% K rate and an 8% walk rate. I think his fastball just isn't as good as it used to be. He is leaning into high lock and the secondary stuff is not great. So yeah, he's a streaming option later in the year when he does get his opportunities, but... I have no interest pursuing Jago Rizzi whatsoever as a stash or anything like that. Just, just no way he exists. The other three options are Glenn Otto, Dane Dunning, and Cole Raggins, and none of them should be trusted. Glenn Otto's slider is the the reason he's a major leaguer, and it wasn't as good as we wanted it to be last year. And nothing else is good, really. Like they're all bad after that. Cole Raggins has a really nice changeup, and he didn't get much playing time last year. Kind of looks like Cole Hamill's um, left side, and has the whole stick down. And I can see him improving if he commands his four-seamer and cutter a little bit better, but he didn't do it good enough yesterday, uh, Yesterday, last year. The intent is there, cutters inside of righties and down and away to lefties and four-seamers up, and those change-ups are really good against righties. But there needs to be a lot more polish here. So maybe we'll see some more Cole Raggins. Maybe he'll be a, a, a step or two forward in his development and could be something, but as, as of right now, I'm not pursuing this. And Dane Dunning, he has a change-up and a slider. The change-up has moments, the slider... 55% strike rate. That's it. The sinker is not very good. I uh, That's it for Dane Dunning. <laughs> I'm not interested at all. I still can't believe that he was dealt for Lance Lynn straight up, essentially, um, for the uh, to the White Sox. That blows my mind. But anyway, that's it for this uh, edition of the Plus Pitch Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have only two left. We have the Toronto Blue Jays and the Washington Nationals. There is no bonus free agent podcast. I'm just adding them retroactively. So if you listen to one and a signing or something happened after, yes, I went and re-recorded and added to that podcast. So go give it a listen. But that is it. So my name is Nick Pollock. And may your babbits be low and your strikeouts high.